0: The new year is as much a time to look forward as it is to look back. What are we going to do differently in 2024? Where do we leave money on the table in 2023? As you craft your strategy to make 2024 the best year yet, consider leveraging better tools to get a better outcome. Yelp Guest Manager pairs the largest consumer network in the country with reservation and waitlist software designed to ensure you're as busy as possible. From large parties to last-minute diners, capture 100% of the demand for your restaurant. To see the growth potential for your restaurant, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash comp for a free evaluation and start 2024 strong. Now here we go. You might get people
1: coming in for experimental food once, but they're not coming back. And again, going back to Tom Clicchio, he said, they'll show up for you famous little chefs. They'll show up because of the venue. They'll show up because of this, but they will only come back for the service.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators served up on the house. Are you on track to hit your profitability goals for this year? If you're struggling to hit your numbers, I might be able to help. Here's how I do it. Every year I offer five complimentary growth sessions to restaurant owners looking to scale. In this call, we'll examine your current situation to see what is and isn't working. We'll identify your growth possibilities by the close of the year. We'll uncover the number one thing holding you and your business back. And we'll develop a growth plan that will get your business results. Go to planwithjosh.com to schedule one of the five complimentary growth sessions. They're going to go quickly, they always do. If you wanna know the truth about one ounce of sugar coating, just call Brian Malarkey. The celebrity chef has spent almost two decades betting big on his version of what success looks like. Big venues, high stakes, and even higher revenues. Post pandemic, when everyone's thinking small and capitalizing on a flush economy, he's taking a different path. In today's episode, Brian and I chat about how he got to where he is today and where he thinks we're headed as an industry.
1: My goals back in those days were my stepfather had told me a long time ago, he said, if you ever want to open your own restaurant, you have to learn how to make money on somebody else's dime. So my whole goal then was to learn how to get my trials and errors done on somebody else's financial time. And so I was just working on food costs, labor costs, learning about PR, HR, just learning the game inside and out. And ironically, when I went on Top Chef the first time, Tom Plikio grabbed us all because it was season three. And he said, hey, I've seen a lot of people fail from the first two seasons. And I want to give you guys a warning. If you don't know how to run a restaurant, don't just let this little mini fame you got guide you into a tragic black hole. He said, go back, learn this craft. He said, it's not about cooking. It's about a business operation. And I think so many people think, oh, I'm a great chef. I can open a restaurant. Well, if you can't run numbers, that restaurant's not going to be around very long. So that's all I was paying attention to at Oceanaire, was just running numbers, running the team, and really just pushing it as much as I possibly can, because it was a chain restaurant. But the fact that we could control the menu, ours was just so much better than all of the other Oceanaire's.
0: And I totally get that. But how do you, I guess, navigate the artistry involved in being a chef? Because that's in my life experience, and I'm not a chef, I don't fucking cook. But in my life experience, there's been difficulty in reconciling the business of running a restaurant with the artistry required to create a great restaurant. So how do you reconcile the two? Wise person. I'll say this several times today, I'm sure.
1: Wise person once told me, if you cook for the elite, that small little boutique group, right? Those rich people, real cool. And you're really putting the artistry into it. If you cook for the elite, you will live with the masses. But if you open the gate wider and you start cooking for the masses, you will live with the elite. So there's a fine line of being able to have your integrity, put out great product, but make it a product that enough people understand that it will generate a lot of income in a larger format of a restaurant.
0: Is that why you have focused centrally on seafood? Because it is so popular? And no,
1: no, no. I'm way off seafood now. We're steaks, pastas, seafood. Seafood is a tough one right now because the cost is so high. And in order for me to get any sort of value out of it or any sort of a cost out of it, I'm going to have to charge an astronomical amount. I mean, our local lobster, you can't get that on the menu for less than like 60 bucks. That's probably a half a tail, right? But the idea is that we focus only on large venues. We don't have a venue that's less than probably 150 seats because we tried some small boutique venues back in the day, Gabardine, and those don't pay enough bills to pay the talent, the management, and the ownership. So that's why we have larger venues.
0: Don't you feel like that's contrary to what everybody's been talking about post-pandemic though? You know, everyone talks about thinking small, small footprints, small menus, and- are you not concerned about the large rents and the extreme overhead that comes with these large venues? I've been crushing the big game for a long time.
1: <laughs> I only know how to play one way these days, and that's big. All right. We did 800 covers at one of our restaurants on Thanksgiving. Oh my We God. did 550 at the other restaurant, right? And what's not big is your rent when you're doing numbers like that. You know, sure. your cost. We always laugh. There's a waterfall effect. You got fixed costs, but once you get up here, those things just disappear and the money just rains. And people are partying. It's the Roaring Twenties Part Two. People want to be in big rooms. They want energy. They want the music pumping, the food flying, the glasses clinking. It's time to celebrate life right now. So, and people are spending and spending and spending. Now, if I was going to open a new restaurant, one, I'd slap myself in the face because I don't want to open a new restaurant right now. If it's not something that you remember pre-pandemic, people are not really willing to take a chance on a new restaurant. They want to go to what they remember as a great restaurant because they missed it, right? Introducing a new restaurant right now is extremely difficult and extremely scary because we've already accomplished paying off most of our debt in our venues. So now we're just looking at, Great profitability, but we had two leases on the table for one up in LA and one in Laguna. And when I saw this PPP money just keep flooding the industry, I got really scared. I'm not gonna lie, I smoked some pot. I watched The Big Short. <laughs> and I got scared because man, the economy can't get this high without correcting itself, right? And the 2008 Big Short situation—it's looming. And I would not take on new leases because as restaurateurs, we are not smart people. We have giant cojones, but we are dumb as a box of rocks, right? And the fact is, I have to sign personal guarantees on these venues for upwards of, you know, two to three years. And I don't see the economy hanging
0: on for another two to three years. So let's talk about branding, because I think one of the reasons you're able to fill venues that are so large is because you've got a big brand. We're very
1: fortunate. I mean, it's something that not many people get to have and a lot of people that do have it don't know how to utilize it. Like I go on Top Chef and I'm like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? What are you playing for?" And they're like, "Oh, no." I'm like, "Do you got a restaurant?" I'm like, "No." I'm like, "Well, why are you making ass of yourself in the public eye? Unless you have something to market, we don't get paid to go on these game shows. We don't get paid. I'm going on a, a show next week. The only reason I go on these shows is to bring brand awareness to my brand. I play against all these amazing chefs who are pseudo famous like me, but they're playing for nothing. Maybe you're going to get a little endorsement deal from Burkett Charcoal or something like that, or some oil company or a wine company, but that doesn't pay the bills. You need to have a brick and mortar that you're trying to get people into so they can come say hi to you, get a picture, taste your food. And that's why we're very fortunate that people come to our restaurants either to love me or to hate me, but they will show up. (laughs)
0: And talk to me about the difference. Obviously, you've been on the show with a bunch of other people and people go on those shows all the time, but not all of them have transcended to become celebrity chefs. What are the qualities that you think you possess? What strategy did you implement that gave you the ability to transcend? It's the
1: business. A lot of these chefs are great chefs and they might even be better chefs than I am. But the idea is how do you make that marketable? I go to restaurants with these really high-end chefs. I read the ingredients on the menu and I don't know what some of them are. I'm like going, I've been in the industry my whole life. Don't outrun the race. I want stuff I know. Just make it better, right? And so, so many people are so egomaniac and so Napoleonic in the fact that they want to stand on their little soapbox and scream, look how great I am. Look how great I am. But that alienates, like I said, again, a massive, massive amount of your clients, right? You might get people coming in for experimental food once, but they're not coming back. And, you know, again, going back to Tom Clikio, he said, you know what? They'll show up for you famous little chefs. They'll show up because of the venue. They'll show up because of this but they will only come back for the service. If I don't feel great about my experience, I'll name a restaurant that, you know, actually I won't name a restaurant, Jelena up in LA, where if I were to go to that restaurant, they make me feel like an asshole. Like, oh, what can we give you? you pee on. Now, I love that restaurant. (laughs) I think the food's amazing, but man, they make me feel like an asshole eating in there. So it has to be all things. And my business partner, Christopher and and I figured out a long time ago, hospitality is easy, but so many people miss it because they focus on one avenue of it. My food should be really good, but my service needs to be really good. And the ambiance needs to be really good because a dining restaurant, a place is is not to come see one or the other. It's to forget about life, share stories, drink, laugh. It's balance, you know? And so these things just kind of take you away and you just kind of drift away into a new world for a couple hours and you really experience life. I don't like those. That's kind of why I get mad at pop-ups. Pop-ups are like, ooh, it's all about the food. It's all about the food. Now, maybe it is for the 10, 20, 30 people who go there. But I want a full hospitality
0: life experience when I go out to eat. Define that for me. I guess from a cultural perspective, how do you train your staff to offer that kind of experience? It's really just respect and caring. And I firmly believe the
1: staff, from your cooks to your dishwasher to the bar back bartenders, hostesses, the servers, everybody needs to feel part of the team we're very fortunate we have very little turnover we had a lot of people come back from the pandemic because they enjoy us because they see us work they see our passion they see our drive it's not the absentee owners it's not the people who come in and like oh it's my restaurant we get in the grind we get in with them and they love it and they appreciate it and we listen to their input what can make us better I might suggest something and they might laugh at it. They might make something and I might take it on. I let my line cooks make specials. Whoever's kicking ass, what do you got? What do you got? Now we'll tighten it up a little bit, but if you let a line cook put a special on the menu, they have ownership and they have emotional commitment, right? And so our staff is all committed to the cause. They love what we do and they love who we are. And that's why it's just win-win.
0: As an independent restaurateur, there's never enough time. There's never enough money. And when I looked at your career and I was doing research from the outside, the Huckuson deal looked pretty good to me. But you also see like Airbnb gets acquired, right? And then the founders leave after a few years because nobody really likes working for Watch a this. business that.
1: I I can say whatever I want about Hakkasan right now because they're gone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They are now currently owned by Tao. And hey, Tao, if you want to unload some of those early restaurants that Hakkasan bought off me, I'll pay a low dollar for a lot of them, all right? I'll I'll take the one in La Jolla. I might be interested in the one in Hawaii more or less because I want to go over there again. But uh, they came in. It was a big land grab. It was the greatest thing ever when it happened. And I was so excited to roll out our restaurants all across the country. But I think they're much more adept at making nightclubs than restaurants. And it was just too much going on, too many people. There was more people in the corporate offices than there was in the restaurant management team. So they're just too big, too fast, and misguided. And most of my restaurants are closed. You know, those fabrics are closed. There's not much left. I currently still own a percentage of those restaurants, but I like to say I would trade you those shares for a warm six-pack of beer right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the diversification of revenue because post-pandemic and even in the middle of the pandemic was on the tip of everyone's tongue. And it seems to be an area of focus for you. I know you're selling cooking oil now and you're all over TV and you have your own brick and mortar restaurants. What does growth look like for you? as you look towards the future strategically? So I never want to sit
1: back and relax, but I'm kind of sitting back and relaxing right now because what's happened is I had this amazing business plan during the pandemic, right? Well, I no longer am a good horse to bet on. Our restaurant industry is in shambles. The stock market's going through the roof. The property values are going through the roof. So all of my big money financial people, I couldn't even with a clear conscience ask them to invest in another restaurant. So I had a brilliant idea. I told the landlords. I didn't ask the landlords. I found locations I liked and I told the landlord, this is the way it's going to work now, right? You're going to be my new partner. You have cavities, you have empty places in your beautiful buildings that you need filled, right? And the way that we're going to make that work is you're going to build out my restaurant. You're going to give me operating capital. And then whatever you want to charge for rent, you're going to times it by two if you want to. You can double it. I don't care. Because I'm no longer selling 30 or 40% of my restaurant to my investors who have to pay back with interest over a period of time, plus pay you 8, 7 to 10% rent. How about I give you 20% of my revenue right there? And I still just save 30%. So why not? And so, and they got into it. And that's how I kind of got into these restaurants and they were giving me tenant improvement allowances that were epic. They were giving me financial assistance. So I didn't have to raise any money because I'm a proven operator, right? And they're tired of the cheesecake factories. They're tired of that stuff. That's all the old stuff's fading. And then everyone kept getting more PPP money and more PPP money. Well, then all of my friends my other restaurant tours were all starting, they all decided to double down. So all my commercial real estate friends are calling me up going, Malarkey, I have property that I could not give away before the pandemic. Everything is getting rented right now. Everything is getting rented. So everyone's taking all of this free money that you can use as a loan and they're doubling down. Well, the problem with that, it's not enough money to have a reserve. And a restaurant always has to have a reserve. That's part of the reason I took those two leases off the table was there's too many people running in the same direction. So what's going to happen any second now is a bunch of average restaurants are going to open up. We have a lack of staff. Nobody wants to work in the hospitality industry anymore either. They'd rather get some IT job or do something from, so they can sit at home and work. And so we've lost our workforce. There's too many people going to open average restaurants. And I think there's a correction in the stock market, the housing market all markets. And there's another crazy virus out there. So I'm going to sit back in about a year, two years, this whole thing's going to crash. And I'm just going to scoop up whatever I want for pennies. And in the meantime, I'm going to focus on the Chef's Life retail brands our cooking our extra virgin olive oil and our blending oil. And we have a couple sprays coming out and a couple of new products. And we're across the nation right now in 1800 Kroger stores. And we're looking for some advancement in that next year.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, have you felt tempted at all to get into the, I mean, you have a big brand, you could do a virtual brand or a ghost kitchen business. Any interest in that?
1: You know what? I had a restaurant called Urban Eatery. I lost about five restaurants during the pandemic. A lot of my lifestyle campuses, restaurants, they wanted to realign the whole thing and whatever. I'm happy to get off those campuses because there's nobody on them anymore. Right. There's no more profit. I don't want to work for the management fee. I want to work for the profitability of something. Right. Right. And so those ghost kitchens to me seem like the dumbest thing in the world also. And I'll tell you why. I had a restaurant called Herb and Eatery, a bakery, breakfast cafe, the best salads, grain bowls, everything there. It was named best breakfast in San Diego for three years in a row. I tried to use it. I tried to do takeout in there. Sandwiches, salads, incredible breakfast burritos, croissants. It wasn't even a ghost kitchen. It was a proven brand that people absolutely loved. They knew it, they wanted it. They begged for us to reopen it during the pandemic for takeout, like 600 bucks a day. Oh, like, wow. I mean, like it's don't even turn an oven on for that. A ghost kitchen, it might be fine, I don't know. But I had a brand, highly successful brand that generated no money as a takeout business.
0: Takeout for us was really awful. Let's role play. You be <clears> you and I'll be more humble, open-minded version of myself at 24 years old. Walk me through the playbook. What steps do I need to achieve the same level of success that you have?
1: Well, you can do it without the celebrity. There's a lot of great operators that do it without the celebrity because celebrity comes and goes. What it is, is knowing your craft. Just like I said, I was in no hurry to open my own restaurant. I learned on somebody else's dime. I studied the playbook. I knew that it was more than just food. I knew it was how you interacted with guests. I talk to every single table. I still do that because the best marketing and the most affordable marketing you can do is inside your four walls. Human interaction. It's the hospitality industry, right? It doesn't matter what article or what you see in a magazine or whatever. It matters what happens when I get there. So it may take a long time. But if you take care of every single guest that comes in and you give them a great experience and you have fun with them and you take care of your staff, you will build this cohesive unit and you'll create your own brand. And people do it all the time just by caring and understanding. But the thing is, a lot of people are like, I'm going to go open my own restaurant. And I was like, I have to tell you this. A restaurant is like a special need child. It never grows up. It's going to live with you forever. You're going to brush its teeth. You're going to change its clothes. You don't get a day off. It's there every single day for you to love and take care of. Don't you plan on going on vacation or anything else? So that's the truth behind it. It's a labor of love. And unless you just love it blindly, the entire career, front of the house, back of the house, heart of the house, bar, it is exhausting and
0: hard work. What mistakes have you made that I should avoid? Don't ever believe hey, my lawyer is your lawyer. Just sign the doc. <laughs>
1: That'll cost you millions, all right? That'll cost you millions. Your lawyer is never somebody else's lawyer, all right? <laughs> you always need your own lawyer. Also, the worst thing I ever did was I was so high and mighty after my first restaurant Searsucker, I built this like monster kitchen, all this, rotisserie and It took an army just to turn the fire on in this place. And so that was not efficient. A lot of first-time chefs or early chefs, they build the kitchen of their dreams. No, 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 no. The kitchen doesn't make the money. The restaurant makes the money. So you have to build a highly efficient, small kitchen where the dishroom's there, this is there, this is there. People spread it out too much. And you got to look at labor. Labor is a massive, massive bleed. Other than that, you know, cook for the people. Don't cook for yourself. Cook for the people. Let them tell you what they want and then you cook for it. It might be steak and fries. Make it the best steak and fries they've ever had in their lives, right? We all do the same things. We're not geniuses. We're just doing it all. Make sure your stuff just tastes better. Better seasoned. It's fresher herbs, better steak, whatever it is. Just give them what they want. So many chefs cook for chefs. Well, they're not your clientele. One, because they're probably broke. And two, they're not enough of society. So I talk loud. I talk proud. But I actually am humble when it comes to my food. I give people what they want. I'm not an egomaniac when it comes to my food. And I think that's very important.
0: It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, i like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement?
1: Come early, stay late. You know, that was the name of my cookbook back in the day. Yeah, I think everything I've said really isn't. Touch every table, get to know your guests, find out what they like, find out what's working for them, and then take care of your staff. It's right there in front of you. We can all win in this industry, but so many people just think it's a plug and play, and it's not. That's why I failed on the fabric restaurants. Even with Hakkasan, I opened too many restaurants too quickly and didn't build the culture. You're better off to have one great restaurant than three average restaurants, right? One bad restaurant will sink two good restaurants. So focus. Don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. Just take care of what you can do. And you can make a great living off a smaller restaurant if you're the chef operator. There's a great living to be made off of that. But if you're not, you need to have something that you can kind of figure it all out. And the only way to do that is go work for somebody that's doing what you want to do and learn from them. Because in our industry, my friends, everybody out there, plagiarism is a form of flattery. (laughs) We are that lazy and unoriginal when I go on, I go on epic heat trips before I open a restaurant. I mean, I go to the biggest food cities there are. We eat three dinners a night. We're looking at China. We're looking at the card stock on the paper. We're looking at the uniforms. We're looking at the lighting. You look at everything. And it's not just the steak and seafood. You've got to see everything. Take the blinkers off and see the whole thing if you want to operate restaurants.
0: Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager in Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Brian Malarkey. For more on The Chef, visit brianmalarkey.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.